Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Grace Apologetics Podcast. My name is Victor Mlinga, and uh, to start things out, I'd just like to apologize for leaving abruptly. For for leaving abruptly in the previous episode, because I kind of had an emergency. I kind of had an emergency, and if that emergency was not dealt with promptly, it would have costed my mom a lot of money. And at this point, it's just me and my mom. And so I just want what's best for her. And so because of that, and so because of that, I thought that I should attend to her because I believe that a minister is nothing if his house is not in order. The Bible says that we should keep the other qualifications for bishops and deacons in the church require them to have the house in order. That is, they are a man of one wife, you know, making sure that everything is in place before they can actually extend into the family of God. So I so I sorted that out, and so um, the question that we were answering yesterday was how. The question that we're answering today is how can we be sure that how can we be sure in uh or rather let me read it, why do Christians believe a supernatural resurrection explains the minimum facts better than other stories. And so I was getting into it. I was getting into it. Um, the first thing, the first thing that I mentioned, the first thing that I mentioned was that um, each individual document of the New Testament, every single one of the 27 books in the Bible have certain omissions which are conspicuous in their absence. The first thing that I mentioned was um, the persecution of the Christians by the hands of Nero. You look all throughout the book of Acts, the persecution of the Christians come by the Jews and not the Romans. Why is that important? Nero blamed the Christians for burning Rome. And so because of that, Nero, so because of that, um, Nero ended up persecuting the Christians and that is conspicuous in its absence because unless the biblical authors had an agenda to appease the Romans and put Nero, or rather put the Jews in a bad light and put them in put themselves in a good light, it would be very unlikely that they did not talk about the the persecution of Rome, the persecution by Rome of the Christians. Secondly, the church does not talk about the death of James, the brother of Jesus, who was the head of the church at Jerusalem. That would be a significant death to talk about. You read in the book of Acts, we read about James, the brother of John, who 
was killed in John's eyes. We read about um we read about the death of Stephen. Those are significant Christians who suffered persecution and death at the hands at the hands of um the Jews. And you can tell that it was at the hands of the Jews based on how they, they died, they were stoned, and we know that Saul who became Paul was at the stoning of Stephen. That is something that they penned down and it would be inconsistent with them for them for them not to talk about the death of James, the brother of Jesus. Another omission, and this is probably the biggest omission because this was something that Jesus predicted himself. If anything, if people want to disprove if people want to disprove um Jesus or if people want to disprove the writings of the New Testament, Jesus gives a prediction that the Romans were going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to destroy Judea, not leaving a stone unturned. And people say that the Gospels were written later because Jesus said that these things happened. But again, if the Gospels were written later, then the Gospels would acknowledge the prophecy that Jesus said. So they'll be like, okay, we fabricated this, and now because we fabricated this, this is what happened. And so you can see Jesus' divinity. You could even tell that um, if it was something significant, and it was something significant because the temple is the heart of Jewish worship. And the destruction of the temple in 70 AD is not spoken about in any of the New Testament books. And that would have been important, one, for Jesus' case. And two, for their own case, if they made up the fact that Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed. And how do we know that the temple is still standing? The book of Hebrews, which was written to Jewish Christians, was still was making reference to the temple and it was making those references as though the temple was still standing then we come to the manuscript argument all right we've talked about the conspicuous absence argument now let's talk about the manuscript argument there are over 10,000 manuscripts from the new testament both in part and whole dating from the 2nd century to the 15th century. These manuscripts were found in Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Turkey, Greece, and Italy. The oldest manuscript of the New Testament is the Jordan Ryland Manuscript, dated 125 AD, found in Egypt. Many Christian papyri that were discovered in 1935 have been dated to 150 AD. This includes the four Gospels. The papyrus of Bodmer II, discovered in 1956, has been dated to 200 AD and contained 14 chapters and portions of the last seven chapters of the book of John. The Chester Beatty Biblical Papyrus, discovered in 1935, has been dated to 200 to 250 AD and contains the gospel, the gospels, acts, epistles and the book of revelation the number of manuscript is extensive compared to other historical writings which are seen as more reliable than the bible we have caesar's gallic wars that has 10 greek manuscripts and the earliest dating is discovered about one 950 years after the original 
the Annals of Tacitus, two manuscript earliest discovery 950 years after the original. Levi, Levi, I don't know how to pronounce that, 20 manuscripts, the earliest discovered being 350 years after the original. Plato, seven manuscripts. Thousands of Christian writings in the first and second century cite verses in from the New Testament. For example, the Epistle of Clement of Corinthians, dated 95 AD, cites the Gospels, the Book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Titus, Hebrews, and 1 Peter. The letter from Ignatius, dated 115 AD, which were written to several churches, cite Matthew, John, both Corinthian epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, both epistles to Timothy and Titus. In addition, the book of Acts suddenly ends with Paul awaiting trial. That's Acts 28, 30 to 31. It's likely that Luke, who wrote Acts before, sorry, it's more like, it's, it's likely that Luke wrote Acts before Paul appeared to Nero. This would be about 62 to 63 AD, meaning that the meaning that Luke and Acts were written within 30 years, 30 years of um, Jesus's death. Now let's go. Let's break it down to every individual. Let's break it down to every individual. Every individual player here. We have Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, and his original name was Levi, and was among the 12 disciples, the original 12 disciples. He was a witness to Jesus' works, and furthermore, his biography of Christ was intended for Jews. And you can tell this because he, he speaks about Jesus as the Messiah. He follows, he follows Jesus through the royal line of David, and wants his Jewish readers to understand that this indeed was the Messiah. This was an eyewitness. Matthew was an eyewitness. That's where he got his story from. John Mark was believed to be Peter's secretary and got his source material from Peter himself. And <laughs> I was going to make a very, very funny, funny comment. But yes. John Mark was believed to be Peter's secretary, and Peter was a disciple of Christ. Another eyewitness report. So we have two eyewitnesses that, that have provided us with the first two Gospels. Matthew giving us Matthew, and Peter giving us Mark through John Mark. Luke, and this is, this is my favorite one. Luke was a physician, and he relied on on eyewitness accounts not not only to write the book of luke but write the book of acts let's just go to luke chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are surely believed among us even as they delivered them unto us which the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very state, from, from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. And here's the thing is that both Luke and both Luke and Acts are directed to Theophilus. 
and here Luke is saying that a lot of people have been Nazis, a lot of people were writing about these things and me gaining understanding also chose to pet it down and to write it to you Theophilus and I love the gospel of Luke because it is detailed you can even tell you can tell um, you can tell you can tell the profession of the person writing the gospel based off of how the gospel is presented because you have Matthew in which you have a tax collector who is probably good at gathering information and using shorthand you have a secretary who summarized his things and focused more on the work than what is than who Jesus was then you have a physician you have a physician who focused you had a physician who focused on his humanity because that's what doctors love they love and you look at Luke focuses a lot on Jesus's healing ministry even the way he follows Jesus's bloodline he follows Jesus's bloodline differences Matthew follows the royal line up to Joseph but we know that Joseph did not provide Jesus with blood but we know that Mary is biologically linked to Jesus that because she's the one that gave birth to him. And that's where Luke follows the genealogy. Instead of going through Solomon Bathsheba's first surviving child, she goes to he goes to Nathan, Bathsheba's second surviving son. And her second surviving son is the ancestor to Mary. And Joseph becomes and Joseph becomes the son of Mary's father through the law that was given to a man called Zalophohad who just had daughters. The gist is is that Zalophohad when it came to inheritance, Zalophohad only had daughters and it was said that um, daughters could not inherit the land or could not inherit from their parents. And so Zalophad asked Moses for a special exception and Moses told him that okay, that's cool. What will happen is that your daughters would have to marry people from your tribe and then your sons-in-law will become your sons and they will inherit your land. And so when um, the children of Israel reached the promised land, there was a reminder that was given to, jo to Joshua saying that, hey, we have a special provision because our father did not have, um, did not have guys. And so the sons-in-law of Zelophehad became the sons of Zelophehad in marriage. And the same way, Joseph became the son of Mary's father. And thus, Luke follows Jesus' bloodline. John, an intimate friend, Matthew, who was who was writing to Jews, spoke about Jesus and what he said, and presenting him in the light of a Messiah, of the Messiah. Mark spoke about the works, was not interested in what he said, more interested in what he did, and he presented Jesus as the servant. Luke presents Jesus as a human and talked about how Jesus felt and talked about him as a man. John, an intimate friend of Jesus, 
spoke about who he was and that is god i mean just look at how this just look at how the book of john starts in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth or if you want you can say that john presented jesus as the son of god john 20 verse 31 but these things were written that ye may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and believing that ye might have life in his name and here's the thing is that if you are um if you're going to read john's gospel you should be prepared to read john's stances on jesus's deity and in his letters he argues with gnostic christian beliefs and the sequel to the book of john which is the book of revelation starts with a very divine definition of jesus revelation 1 14 to 16 says and it's revelation not revelations his head and his white wool as white as snow his eyes were like flame were like flames of fire and his feet were like fine brass as if burnt in the furnace his voice was the sound of many waters and he had his right hand he had in his right hand the seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength the point is is the point that john is making is simply an eternal god entered history as man to save the world and this is summarized in John chapter 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life Paul so or rather so of Tarsus whatever you like to call him he was a Benjamin Benjamite who regarded himself as the Pharisee of Pharisees he was under the mentorship or the discipleship of a Jew by the name of Gamaliel. He was and Gamaliel was regarded as the doctor of the law. Paul was a scholar with exceptional knowledge in Jewish scripture and Greek literature. His life changed on the road to Damascus. Paul is the most valid Bible character to exist according to many Bible scholars. Just like the shooting of JFK, Paul even lists a cloud of witnesses that saw Jesus alive after his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8 Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which was preached unto me, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye believe... Sorry, just give me a second. Sorry, just give me a second. Technical difficulty on my end. Let me start. First Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which was preached unto me, which ye also received, and wherein ye stand, by which 
also ye are saved. And if we keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, Cephas, Peter, Simon, whatever you like to call him, then the twelve. After that he was seen by above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained until the until this presence, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me as one born out of the Jew type. Paul not only saw Jesus, not only lists a cloud of witnesses, but he knew Jesus' original disciples. And they had counsels concerning doctrine. Paul is responsible for the book of Romans, my personal favorite book in the Bible, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Hebrew, though that last one is debatable. We have James and Jude. These are Jesus' brothers. Now, I used to have siblings, and if one of them told me that they were the Messiah, I would not believe them. For those of you that do have siblings, imagine somebody told you that they were the Messiah. That would not fly because you know who they are. But here's the thing is that James became the head of the church at Jerusalem after seeing, after seeing his brother risen. And his book is an action-based faith. That's why you have the famous conflict between, between Paul and James. The question is, was Abraham saved by faith or by works? Faith will always result into works. Genuine faith, at least. And then we have Jude or Judas, who addresses apostasy in the church. And like I said earlier, in my humble opinion, it is impossible for you to convince your sibling that you are God. But both of them acknowledged Jesus. They acknowledged themselves as servants of Jesus. And they came to realize who he was after his resurrection. Again, I'll ask you, how legit should the resurrection be for brothers to believe that their brother was God? And lastly, we have Simon Peter. He was Jesus' second disciple and the first person to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. He was present during the Transfiguration and he is credited with two books. One which he dictated like Paul in his letters and one which he wrote. Peter, who experienced Jesus personally, tells us that we have a better, we have it better because we have the words of prophecy. There are various New Testament writers that had their reasons for why they wrote what they wrote. And it's hard to believe that they were writing, their writings would be collected as one. They never, they probably never thought that their writings would be um, collected as one. And here's a side note for you to know that they were just writing to address issues of the church, is that there are two books, there are two lost books of Corinthians. There are four books of Corinthians. We have the first one, sorry, we don't even have the first one, because Paul makes reference in 1 Corinthians of one book, 
1 Corinthians 5 verse 9 makes reference of another book in First Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 2. So we don't even have the original 1 Corinthians. We have 2 Corinthians and most likely 4 Corinthians, two lost books of Corinthians. And it's very interesting that these men would think that would, would think that their documents would be obviously they knew that their documents would be circulated, but I don't think that they were confident that their documents would become one. And outside of the Bible, we have people like Flavius Josephus. He was a first century author outside of the church. To, he was the first author outside of the church to write about Jesus. He credited the two documents and his sources believed, though one of his sources is believed to have been corrupted by Christian scribes. But the other one, that's not as suspicious, refers to James, who is the brother of Jesus, the soul called Christ. And it is possible that he was around when the church, when the early church was being started, and it is also possible that he knew the people in the New Testament, or he knew people who knew them. We have Tacitus, we have, we have Tacitus' work, and from Tacitus we learn that Jesus was executed by Pontius Pilate who was in charge of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. And while Tiberius was the emperor, emperor in, from 14 to 37 AD, which fits the gospel period, we have the Roman politician Pliny. Pliny was a governor in, the north, in northern Turkey and gave information that Jesus was worshipped as God. And obviously this is an extra, this is a, a post-resurrection Jesus because Jesus was not worshipped. He was worshipped here and there in the Bible, but he only became collectively worshipped after his resurrection. You have Lucian of Samosta. Lucian was a second century Greek starist who was highly critical of Christianity. He wrote the death of Peregrinus. Peregrinus was a Christian convert who returned to cynicism and politics committing suicide on the Pry near the Olympic Games in, 19, in 165 AD. When the authorities placed Peregrinus in jail, the Christians visited him and brought him food. The Christians, you know, worshipped a man to this day. They distinguished, they distinguished the personage who, they intro, who, who introduced their novel rites. And was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with a great conviction that are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by the original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are all brothers. The moment that they were converted and denied the gods of Greece and worshipped the crucified sage and lived after his laws, all the all they all they took on they took quite on faith. And the result they were despised by all worldly gods gods alike, regarding them merely as common property. This is coming from what these are all these are ancient historians that you could you can tell the disgust you can tell the disgust in Lucian's voice. He first starts by calling us misguided creatures. 
and he talks about the, the content that Christians had for the Greek gods and how they worship this crucified siege and he does not even he doesn't even finish it because he's crucified and resurrected he was a crucified and resurrected but if you're going to say okay no Josephus Josephus um plainly and them are old and their sources don't matter then we have we come to more recent historians people like Bart Ehrman Bart Ehrman was a liberal Christian for 15 years but became agnostic, an agnostic atheist struggling with the philosophical problems when he was struggling with the philosophical problems however he still said this concerning Jesus his existence he certainly existence as virtually every con every scholar of antiquity Christian or non-Christian it is agreed by every scholar of antiquity whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian Concerning Jesus' death, concerning Jesus' death, one of the most certain facts in history is that Jesus was crucified on the order of the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Concerning his resurrection, we can say with complete certainty that some of the disciples at some time, instead of that, he soon appeared to them, convincing them that he had been raised from the dead. He furthermore says it is a historical fact that the followers came to believe that he had been raised from the dead and soon after his soon after his execution we have paula fredrickson paula fredrickson was a roman is a roman catholic or rather was a roman catholic who converted to judaism Her, she specializes in social and intellectual history of christianity concerning jesus's death she said the most solid fact about jesus's life is his death he was executed by roman prefect Pilate on or around Passover in a manner Rome's reserved particularly for political insurrection namely crucifixion. Concerning his resurrection, I know in their own terms that they saw the raised Jesus. I'm not saying that he really did they really did see a raised Jesus. I was not there. I did not I don't know what they saw, but I don't know. As a historian, they must have seen something. Gerd Ludemann. Gerd Ludemann is a former Christian and is a German New Testament scholar and historian. He taught from 13, from 1983 to 1999. Jesus' death, this is what he says, Jesus' death, Jesus death as, a result, as a result of crucifixion is undeniable, is undisputable rather. And I use this quote particularly because you cannot rise from the dead without being dead you can dispute this and you can and the most indisputable fact is that jesus died by crucifixion it has been as historically certain that peter and the and this is what he says about the resurrection it may be historically certain that peter and the disciples had experienced after death had experienced Jesus' after death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. We have John Dominic Crossand the, from the Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar was an American group of 50 critical Bible scholars, 100 laymen, founded in 1985 by Robert Funk, the original, and that originated under the auspices of Leicester Institution, Institute rather. 
the sermon was more active in the 80s and 90s and early 20th, 21st century. Now, John Dominic Crossan is an Irish-American New Testament scholar, historian of early Christianity and former Catholic priest. His research is focused on the historical Jesus, on the cultural anthropology, the the, uh, the cultural anthropology of the ancient Mediterranean and the New Testament world. And concerning Jesus' death, he says, there is no slightest doubt that the G that Jesus there's no there is no there is no slightest doubt about the fact that Jesus is crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. You have you have Marcus Borg again another one of the Jesus seminar. Marcus Borg was a New Testament scholar and theologian and furthermore one of the most influential influential voices in modern christianity he retired he retired as a hundred with a he just he retired as a hundred distinguished professor of religious culture and at the oregon state university and he says that jesus is the most jesus's execution is the most certain fact about the historical jesus you have pinchas pinchas lipid Lipide, Lipide, I don't know, <laughs> who was a Jewish, who was a Jewish theologian and an Israeli historian. He was an Israeli diplomat from 1951 to 1969. He has written more than 35 books in his life and says that death by crucifixion is historically certain. And then we come to my favorite. We have Lawrence Mikityuk. If you want to do research on him, the surname is M-Y-K-Y-T-I-U-K. And according to Lawrence, the Jewish rab rabbis did not say this. Okay, so the Jewish rabbis who did not like Jesus or his followers accused him of being a magician and leading people astray. By, but never said, but they never said that he never existed. Concerning the archaeological evidence, he said that there is no there is nothing conclusive, nor would I expect there to be for a peasant. Don't, sorry, there is nothing conclusive, nor would I expect there to be. For, nor, that do I, nor do I expect there to be. Peasants don't normally live an archaeological trail. The reality is that we do not have archaeological records for virtually anyone who lived in Jesus' time. The lack of evidence does not mean that a person did not, the, did not does not mean that a person at that time did not exist. It means that he or she, like 99.99% of the rest of the world, made no impact on archaeological records. Concerning what Tacita said about Jesus, just about everything he said coincides. From, from a completely different point of view, by a Roman author, disdain of Christians and their superstitions with what the New Testament itself says. Jesus was executed by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, for his crimes and against the state, and a religious movement of his followers sprang up in his wake. When Tacitus wrote history, if considered the if considered the information not entirely reliable he normally wrote some indication of that for his readers 
um, Mickey Tuke says, in vouching for the historical value of the passage, there is no indication of potential error in the passage that mentions Christus. The Jewish, the Jews believed that he was a magician, a her and a heretic that led people astray, both in the New Testament and in secular history. And so, and so that's just a summary of what um, that's just a summary of what Lawrence says. Now, here's the thing: is that the evidential proof for Jesus is resurrection. The evidential proof, we talked about the omission proof. Now we're looking at the manuscript proof, not only in the Bible, but also outside of the Bible. Is significant because, because we, because we, sorry, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get my, my, my spirits together. I'm trying to, to calm down. We have over a thousand New Testament manuscripts and of that and of those manuscripts the earliest dated manuscript is 125 years almost a hundred years after Jesus in comparison to other manuscripts like Caesar's Gallic War the Annals of Tacitus and so on and so forth which are at least a thousand years after the original source shows you that even with the manuscript jesus most likely lived in the time that he lived not only that but you had people within not rather within but people a hundred years out already quoting from the gospels and feeling comfortable quoting from the gospels from posits from so many of these sources <coughs> that it even narrows it down further and then you have Luke you have Luke who writes the book of Acts which ends abruptly it does not tell us what happened to Paul it does not it ends abruptly and that is between 62 and 63 AD given that Mark was the earliest Bible or rather earliest earliest gospel written you can see that between Mark and Luke with Matthew being Second, and John being the let, the latter one, you have a period of 30 years where the three Gospels were written at the same time or in a similar time period. Then you have, um, you have the eight authors of the New Testament. You have the eight authors of the New Testament backing up or rather writing about these sources and saying that the people that were there were eyewitnesses. Not only that, but you also have um, historians both in the ancient world and in today's world affirming what? Affirming, affirming, um, affirming, the, affirming their position, whether they agree with them or not. Everybody agrees that they saw something, and in that something that they saw, they started to worship the man called Christus as God, saying that they rejected the gods of the Greeks, and they followed this man who was crucified. But then, if you can ask, can't we explain the resurrection away? I mean, what if they stumbled 
upon a wrong tomb. And if you look at MacDowell's work, he says that this theology also disregards the total straightforward narrative about the events surrounding Jesus' burial and post-resurrection scene. The Gospels record that Joseph of Arimathea took the body to a private tomb, not a, ma not a public mass burial ground. And so according to the scriptures, the body of Jesus was prepared for burial according to burial customs of the Jews. And the women sat opposite the tomb, watched. And not only did Joseph of Arimathea and the women know where the tomb was, so did the Romans. And not only the Romans, we know that the Romans know because there was a soldier assigned to Jesus. Yes, but not only the Romans, but also the Jews. Everybody was interested to see if this fraud was going to say what he said they wanted him to fail they wanted jesus to fail and so they observed him and so you're saying that joseph of arimathea the women the roman soldiers and the jews who knew where the tomb was in this private place all of them missed it that's unlikely here's the thing is that i can go to my sister's burial sites I can go to my father's barriers. I know where they are exactly. And if there is a hole in the barrier and there is no coffin, I would be suspicious. Second thing, was it a conspiracy? Maybe the disciples or someone close to Jesus just took the body and faked the resurrection. And here's the thing is that conspiracy theories have always been around. And I, I for one, love a good conspiracy theory. And my favorite one as celebrities that fake their own deaths because I hope that one day I get to fake my own death. <laughs> but yeah. And let me just give you an example. Michael Jackson faked his own. Michael, two Michael Jackson episodes. Who knew? Michael Jackson faked his death in order to live in peace. Now, I don't believe in this particular conspiracy theory. It's just a fun one to talk about. Why I don't believe it is because we know that Michael Jackson is there because we know what his autopsy tells us. He had vitiligo. He was bold. He had tattooed his eyebrows and his hairline. Furthermore, if you um if you were watching Dr. Murray's um Conrad Murray Michael Jackson's doctor, if you're watching the if you're watching the the, the case. There is one disturbing voice recording of Michael Jackson, and that's where he is high on drugs. And it's very eerie to listen to. And you could tell that this man was not long for the world. Anyway, one conspiracy theory that's out there is that Jesus' resurrection was faked. Is it possible that the disciples faked his body? The answer to that is a big no. Listen, there are things that we need to understand before we can claim that the disciples faked the resurrection. During the resurrection, the Pharisees and the chief priests remembered what Jesus had told them, that he would destroy the temple and build it up in three days. And it seemed that they paid more attention to Jesus than his own disciples. Concerning Jesus' body, the Pharisees actually went to Pilate in Matthew 27, verse 63 to 66, saying, Sir, we remember that this deceiver said while he was yet alive, 
after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that this sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last error shall not be greater than the first, or shall this, the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the, the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So this even tells us about the first one, the which means that the Pharisees knew where the tomb was, one. Two, they chose to seal it up even more than it was. Three, the disciples could care less about Jesus' resurrection. They were just like, oh, Jesus is dead. And it ended there. They, the Pharisees, were the ones who were actually waiting for the resurrection, not the disciples. So it was, or it's already impossible. It's already impossible to know. For sorry, it's already impossible for you to say that the disciples faked the resurrection. It's impossible. It's it's it's. it's And here's the thing is that um, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that Jesus was not only seen by those whose testimony could easily be dismissed, but it was something that was seen by over 500 people. Not only that, but even the people that faked Jesus' resurrection all died horrible deaths. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew is believed to have been crucified. Thomas was pierced with spears by four, or four soldiers. Philip was arrested and was cruelly put to death. Matthew was stabbed to death. Bartholomew's death is not clear, but he is believed to be a martyr of the gospel. James was stoned to death. Simon the Zealot was killed. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Paul was beheaded. Matthias was burnt. James, the brother of John, was put to death with a sword. At the order of King Herod, and James, the brother of Jesus, was thrown off the was thrown off the temple. Now that's a hefty price for you to pay to keep a lie. Now here's the thing: is that even historians again back this up. You have Eusebius saying that let us band together to invent all the miracles, resurrection appearances which we never saw, and let us carry the sham to death. Why not die for nothing? Why dislike torture and whipping inflicted for no good reason? Let us go to all the nations and overthrow their institutions and denounce their gods. And even if we convince anyone, at least we've, we have the satisfaction of drawing down on ourselves the punishment of our own deceit. Imagine dying for deceit. This is why, um, this is why people are tortured for information because they know after some point, if you are being deceitful, that information will come after. Paul E. Lito says, men will die for something that they believe is true, though it may be false. For instance, um, Muslims believe that if they die for Allah, they will be rewarded with 72 virgins. That's why they can die for Allah. Because they know that they are going to be rewarded. Because they believe that that is true. Whether it's true or not, it's easy to lie, or rather it's easy to die for something that you believe is true. 
but there is no way sorry let me read his quote word for word but they do not but they do not however die for something which is a lie and you know i like poor elite because it sums up it sums it up and i believe eusebius was being um facetious in nature but um poor elite sums it up saying that no one would die for a lie there are people who are deceived into believing a lie who would give their lives for that lie but the prerequisite for dying for a cause is believing that it is true the only other thing that can explain the disciples dying for jesus is that they were all hallucinating but a hallucination is something that happens in somebody's mind not something that is gathered around not something that not everybody hallucinates the same thing even people on drugs look see different things and just to revisit paula frederickson's quote i'm not saying that they did see the raised jesus i wasn't there i do not know what they saw but i don't know as a historian they must have seen something and they believed in that something Here's the thing is that the conspiracy theory gets debunked because the people that wanted to see Jesus fell went to extreme lengths to make sure that he stayed dead. Not only did they show up to his friend, not only did Jesus show up to his friends, he also showed up to his foes. Furthermore, at least 500 people who, at least 500 people saw Jesus rising from a reason jesus this ranging from uh, mary magdalene to the apostle paul these men proclaimed the resurrection at a cost and it was more beneficial for them to denounce jesus but they chose to proclaim the resurrection even when it costed them their lives thus proving that it's fake another one is the swan theory rather proving the prosperity theory false there's the swoon theory that jesus did not die on the cross he merely passed out due to lack of oxygen and was prematurely buried and he recovered three days later and left the tomb when the disciples saw him they were convinced that he rose from the dead but here's the thing is that according to this theory jesus didn't really die he merely passed out due to lack of oxygen and prematurely and was prematurely buried and he recovered three days later left the tomb and when his disciples saw him they were convinced that he rose from the dead but this is a problematic theory for the following reasons if jesus passed out due to lack of oxygen how would he recover in a place with even less oxygen number one number two with the beatings that he got how would he have been able to roll over the stone that covered his tomb he couldn't even carry his cross simon of cyrene is the one who helped him carry the cross in fact simon of cyrene carried the cross jesus did not carry his cross number three they were god's present and he wasn't he wasn't in any physical condition to fight them off number four roman law would have laid the death penalty on the soldier that allowed Jesus to be buried prematurely. 
So now you've got somebody who is fearing for their own life, watching somebody die prematurely. I don't think that that would have been possible. And here's the thing. Yeah, let's come back. Let's come back. Let's come back. John, who was an eyewitness, claimed that he saw blood and water coming out of Jesus' pierced side. This shows us that Jesus' lungs had collapsed and he had died of asphyxiation. In conclusion, this, the swan theory is dead on arrival, is a dead on arrival argument. Furthermore, you need to know your Bible. You, you don't need to know your Bible for this. But if you study Roman crucifixion, you don't need to know your Bible, but however, if you study Roman 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 crucifixion, if you study Roman crucifixion, you know that Jesus was not getting out of there alive. And just to quote a cardiologist, water and blood coming from the heart would mean that Jesus was not going to recover. He really died on the cross. There was no way to create a conspiracy out of this, especially since the Roman soldiers would this Roman soldiers were told to make sure that he did not escape. Their lives were on the line. Hallucination of the vision theory. This one just says that the Paul and Paul and the disciples had hallucinations of Jesus through subjective visions and uh, the hallucination. I, I hinted at this with the conspiracy theory. And the only other, the only other way of seeing Jesus that. The only reason, the only other reason, other than them truly seeing Jesus, was is them being deceived into seeing Jesus. And if all of them saw something that convinced them that Jesus was resurrected, and so here comes the hallucination theory. It states that the disciples and Paul saw hallucinations of Jesus through subjective visions after his death. Is it possible that they hallucinated the whole thing? And I will answer this with the principles of hallucination, courtesy of Bible.org. Only certain kinds of people have hallucinations. These are people who are high strung, high imaginative, and high and very nervous people. In fact, only paranoid or schizophrenic individuals have hallucinations. Jesus appeared. Jesus' appearances were seen by different people and weren't restricted to people of a certain psychological makeup. Hallucinations are linked in an individual subconscious to a particular past experience. With the disciples, this was nothing like a past experience and Paul had no prior relationship to Jesus. Hallucinations are restricted to, are restricted to when or where they occur. They usually occur in a nostalgic atmosphere or in a place of familiar surrounding which people which which places the people are in a reminiscing mood the my apologies they occur in people when they are in the spirit of appreciation or hopeful expectation looking at the records it is evidence that everyone had accepted that jesus had died the women who discovered the empty tomb went there to anoint his dead body mark 16 verse 1 to 2 and when the sabbath was passed mary magdalene mary the mother of james salome had bought sweet spices that they 
might come to anoint him and and very early in the morning the first day of the week they came unto the sepulchre and at the raising of the sun the disciples didn't believe mary magdalene when she told him that he was risen mark that's verse 11 to 16 and they were and they when they had heard that he was alive he was alive and had been seen of her believed not after he appeared in another form unto the two as they walked and went into the country and they went and told unto the residue neither believed them afterwards he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not in which they had seen after he was risen and prior he said unto them go ye into the world and preach the gospel of every man he that believeth and baptize him shall be saved but he that believeth not is not damned and even the disciples at Emmaus expressed disappointment in Jesus dying that's um, Luke 24 21 but we trusted that it, it we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel and besides and besides all this today is the third day and since these things had happened Thomas didn't want to believe until he touched him that's John 20 25 the other disciples said unto him we have seen the Lord but he said unto them except I see his hand and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails I would trust my I would trust my hand inside I would not believe and Paul was on his way to kill to kill Christians when he met Jesus saying and so yet breathing out threatening and slaughtering against them the Lord said unto the high priest and desired of him the letters to the Damascus to the synagogue that if any of them this way whether they were men or women might have been brought bound unto Jerusalem these people had no ex these people had no ex expectation of seeing a raised Jesus based off of the hallucination principles it's unlikely that Paul and the disciples hallucinated Jesus lastly lastly we have the twin theory that Jesus had an unknown twin or a doppelganger that moved his body and showed up to the disciples who believed who believed that he was raised from the dead and is it possible no it's not let's address that the disciples were with this man for three years you cannot deceive somebody that you've been with for three years and here's the thing is that thomas did not want to, i love thomas thomas is all thomas is the one that helps us with this because he did he did not want to believe in anything he did not want to believe in anything unless he touched jesus's where they crucified him so based off of the evidence jesus is indeed a real person the new testament the new testament was written within 30 years of the resurrection jesus was not just a new testament figure the resurrection affirmed is affirmed by non-christian sources and every theory that tries to disprove the resurrection has flaws in its logic may god bless you